You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. My name is Ryan. I uh, I oversee some of the uh, some of the things that happen on Sunday night here, man. I love uh, getting to journey with you guys, getting to know some of you better, and I just consider it such a privilege to call this community home. Um, some of you might not know that during the week, uh, pastors actually work, and so during the week I'm here and overseeing some of the more executive, the systems, the budgeting, and the things that go into the nuts and bolts of really making the house uh, happen. And so, um, yes, the answer. Your ever burning question is I do work during the week. Um, I was thinking this week about this talk, and I knew that if I was going to get any preparation done, that I needed to go and find a, a quiet place to do some studying. You see, if I, if I hang out here, uh, Oliver and Yost and Chad and Ed, they just heckle me, and I can't get anything else done. And so I thought, well, I'm going to head out to a coffee shop. And then I realized if I went to Starbucks or Third Space, I'd see every Christian and their dog. And so that wasn't going to work either. So I thought, i got to find a new spot. i got to find my new spot. And um, I went down the hill. Uh, We live in Glenmore. And so I went down the hill near London Drugs. There's this little nook called Mom's Grind. Okay, and um, Mom's Grind is it's just so great. I went in there. I got some quality studying done. I, I wrote down some great thoughts, um, and, and I, it was just amazing. But can we just, before I go any further this evening, just agree on one thing together? Mom's Grind. <laughs> like, what? Who calls a, hopefully no one here actually owns this place or something. <laughs> who calls a coffee shop Mom's Grind? Like, I, I don't know how you go about it. You get Mom's Grind, Mom's Grind. Mom's grind. Like, it just, it's not good, whichever way you do it. Um, so the moms and I, I got some good work done with them, and I, it was sweet. And I really am excited for what God has to say, I think, this evening to you. And uh, it's, it's going to be good. So we've been working through this series that we've called Deliberate Faith, okay, where we've been uh, intentionally looking at what does it look like for you and I in our lives to be uh, deliberate and intentional in the way that we live out and carry out our faith walk. And so we've uh, touched on some things like, like simplifying your life, like finding balance, like focusing your thoughts, uh, like managing your intentions and making space for God to work. And I think we've really, really hit extremely hard all of these ideas about things that you and I do to propel ourselves into a deeper faith relationship with Jesus. And so I don't wanna, I don't wanna hit that hammer anymore, but what I do wanna explore with you this, this evening is this idea that when, when we're deliberate and intentional in our faith, when we feel like we're leaning into God, even then, what God's up to and the way that our life pans out is actually just really not often what we expected at all. Isn't that true? That, that we think that we're going after God. We're going, okay, I'm leaving space. I'm, I'm focusing on you, Lord. And then we're like, I've done my move. I crushed it. Now you got to show up and he makes his move. And we're like, what? Where did that come from? That wasn't what I expected. Right? And, and, and what ends up happening is the way that God is working in your life just looks so very different than what you had originally expected. I'm sure in your life at different times you've had uh, all sorts of different unmet expectations, right? Maybe it was God. Maybe that was with people. Um, for me, 
uh, I'm going to tell you a little story about my life. So I, I, I uh, Sarah and I, my wife, we own a house in, in Rutland, um, and it's, it's a rental property, so an investment property. And over the last four years, I've had the, the privilege, the unique opportunity to learn the ins and outs of being a landlord. Um, and uh, if, if it sounds like a great blessing, it's not. Um, and I've just realized there's this just, I think, extra portion from the Lord for people who are landlords. And so most of you probably aren't there yet, but you might be at one point. And I'm just going to tell you this in advance. If you buy a house in Rutland, that portion will be double, okay? It is just the wildest thing. And as a landlord, one of my least favorite times of the year is when I have to go out and find new tenants. So maybe a tenant gives notice, they move out, and I'm on the hunt for someone new. And so i flop up an ad on Castanet and get a million phone calls. And I'm trying to weed through, hey, who, who are those people that, that could be good prospective tenants and who just wants to ruin my life? And um, man, I, I've done this a few times now, so I'm, I'm developing a bit of a system, okay? Uh, I have applications, uh, people come in and do viewings, and I do interviews, and then I follow up on references because I want to be intentional about who ends up in my rental unit. Um, but it was a point about two years ago at this, this very time in the fall when I was doing just this. I was looking for a new tenant, put out the ad, got a bunch of applications, found this guy. Uh, he looked great. Okay, young guy, had a dog, um, was an electrician. He had a good job, and his references checked right out, and I thought, hey, this is going to be a sweet fit. Uh, people upstairs are going to love him, and uh, it's just going to be amazing. And for the first four months, it, it was amazing. I didn't hear a single thing about it, and that, that's, a, that's the dream. You don't hear about it. It doesn't exist. Until after that four months, I got this email from my upstairs tenants, and they said to me, hey, Ryan, we, we just think that you should know. Um, we think that, that um, well, we've already gone halfway. Uh, Justin, his name's Justin. We'll just call him Justin. <laughs> Justin downstairs, we think that he's growing weed in the basement and that you should know. And I said, oh, I think I should know. That's important. Thank you for letting me know. And so I set up a sting operation to catch this guy red-handed, went in there, an impromptu inspection, boom, got him. I was like, bro, that's not okay. You can't be doing that. I said, you, you violated our rental agreement, uh, and, and it's against the law. This was back in the days when, when it was still illegal, the glory days, right? We know it's different now. Um, so I said, hey, dude, you got to get this cleaned up. Uh, I'm coming back in one week to do an inspection, and it better be gone. And I did, and it was. It was gone. And so being the good um, Christian pastor, landlord that I am, I said to him, you know what? Just like Jesus has given me a second chance, I'm going to give you a second chance. What an idiot. <laughs> what was I thinking? Three months later, $3,000 in rent out, a complete mess of my house. I had to evict this guy and his butt onto the street. And man, I'll just tell you, it looked so different than I thought it would. Right? Because I did, I did all my homework. I, I did the references. I took the application. I met with him and felt good about it. And yet, the situation just panned out so painfully different than I thought it would. And I think this, for you and I, is sometimes the way that it happens in our faith journey. And I'm not sure where you're at, but I'm sure there's someone here that would say, man, I feel like I'm leaning in. I feel like I'm making space and doing all of the right things, but, but I just feel like my life is looking different than, than I expected it to, right? And so we're going we're gonna to look at a story today in Scripture of a guy who, who had just a, a similar narrative going on in his world. Uh, he was faithful. 
He was intentional. He said yes to the right things. He said no to the wrong things. And yet, the way that God worked again and again and again just looked so painfully different than he had expected. And we're going to look at like, God's story in the life of Joseph. And so if you have a Bible this evening, you can turn, you can open it up on your phone, or it's going to be on the screens beside me and behind me. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. And for those of you who are going, man, I, I read that Joseph story. I know about it. That's like 10 chapters long. Don't worry about it. We'll get you out by tomorrow morning, and it's going to be, it's going to be all okay. We're going to just weave in and out of, out of the text here a number of chapters. And there's a few key points that I want you to see. And there's some things in here that I think will be helpful and encouraging to you. Let's read Genesis 37, chapter 2. It says this, Joseph, being 17 years old, remember that, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph bought a, brought a bad report of them, being his brothers, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. So there's a few things that we know about our buddy Joe here right out of the bat. Number one, he's a tattletale. Number two, we know that he's the favorite. And this was interesting culturally in these times um, because it was not often that the youngest was the favorite, but rather the eldest, because the eldest was the one who had received the birthright. Uh, the inheritance, and, and the favor of the father. But that's not Joe's case. We read here that, that, that Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And then it says this, and he made him a robe of many colors. And so if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, this is probably maybe the only one part that you remember, that he had this funky, weird-looking robe. And this is the way I envision this scenario going down, Okay. Jacob, Joseph's father, loads up the family camel and is like, we're going to town, boys. They go down to Walmart and everyone gets outfitted with Fruit of the Loom essentials, right? Across the board, except Joe. They load the, the thing back up, head downtown to Hugo Boss. That's Joe's shop, right? The tailor comes out, measures them up and is like, oh yeah, we got something good for you. We're going to source the finest fabrics from Italy and we're going to get you set up. And the rest of the dudes are like, Bro, what is going on? Right, can you just, can you imagine this situation? And this is what it says in verse four. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And then verse five says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Uh, in, in these days, it was pretty common for God to speak to people through dreams. Uh, if you read through the book of Genesis, you'll actually see often that dreams are associated with divine revelation from God. And so Joseph has his dream, this supposed divine revelation from God. And we don't know actually that much about it at this point. But what we do know is that the rest of the bros are chapped, right? They don't like it at all. They're going, this does not look good. Here's what I think about dreams, just an aside. I think God still speaks through dreams today. I really, I really believe that he does. I'm not sure that all of your dreams are from God, right? Like the, <laughs> the one where you're sitting on the beach drinking pina coladas the rest of your life, that one's probably not from God. Not one to say for sure, but just a, just a thought. But I think God does speak through dreams. 
I think he puts dreams in people's hearts. It's not always the nighttime overnight dream deal, but the, hey, God has put something in my heart that I think that I have to do. That, that's a yearning, a longing, a calling that I have that, that I can't ignore. I think he gives people those types of dreams. And maybe there's someone in here today that would say, I feel like I have a dream from God. And I just want to speak to you and encourage you and, and, and just say, hey, that is so good. But along the way, there's, there's going to be a few bumps. Right? It's not going to be easy. There might be some really big bumps, craters, potholes. It might be financial struggle. It might be relational problems. It might be a health crisis. There's going to be bumps, but we're going to see that in, in Joseph's story, in his bumps, when everything's falling apart, God is still faithful. And I want you to think about your story, maybe the circumstance you're in right now, and when everything feels like it's falling apart, that God is still faithful. Pick up the story in verse 6, chapter 37. It says, he said to them, this is Joseph, here, this dream that I have dreamed. They're like, ooh, okay. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And if that wasn't enough, he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. These are some jacked up dreams, right? These are good dreams for Joseph. You can imagine. He's like, all right, Lord, keep them rolling. I'm ready. I'm downloading. It's good. But for the rest of the crew, they were like, man, this is, uh, we don't like what we're hearing. And we're going to see that, that Joseph's dreams come to be realized, but that there are a few bumps along the road. And, and I think we can say with confidence that it's certainly going to look a lot different than he had originally expected. And so moving, moving along in Joseph's story, I'm going to paraphrase the next little bit. And it says that Jacob, Joseph's dad, uh, said to Joseph, hey, I need you to go down and check on the guys. They were out, all the rest of the brothers, uh, tending the pasture. Joseph's at home because he's the favorite. He's not working. But they are. I need you to go check them out uh, and just let me know if anything's sketchy going on. And he knows that because Joseph's a tattletale, if something wax going down, he's going to know about it. He's going to come back. And so Joseph goes down, finds his brothers. And we read, this is what happens here in verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see that what will become of his dreams. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. This is pretty intense, right? And it's not looking real great for Joseph and his dream. I want to just draw your attention to a few things about this, this passage in the text and what, what the language is saying. We see in 23, it says that they stripped him of his robe. And this, this word in Hebrew for stripped um, was a word that meant to skin an animal. And then it goes on and says they threw him 
into a pit. And that word was, was a word that was only ever used to talk about the discarding of an already dead body. And so in, in the, the mind and the eyes of his brothers, Joseph was an already dead animal. And this is intense. The, the level of hatred is intense to a point where that his brothers wanted to, wanted to kill him. But I want to propose to you this evening that, that they didn't want to kill him because he was just a tattletale or, uh, or, or because he got the Hugo Boss shopping spree, right? But I think it was because he had a dream. He had a dream that God gave him that they couldn't understand. And I think in the same way in your life, there are probably people around you that, that maybe you have something in your heart and you communicate it and they can't understand. You see, his brothers were getting ready to kill Joseph. But as we read along, we're going to find out that's not what happens. Because God's not done with Joseph. And even when things seem to be spinning out of control, God's still in control. And I want you to know this evening that even when you feel like you're floundering, when you feel like your life is spinning out of control, that God, yeah, he's still faithful. He's still faithful. What happens next in the story is the brothers sit down to eat lunch and uh, a, a bunch of traders come on by, bearing a bunch of goodies. And then the brother Judas says this. He says, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not let our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Boom, done. Pretty crazy. How, how many of you guys, we can do hands here. How many of you guys uh, have siblings at home or in your life have had siblings? Come on, a little higher. Give it to me. Let's go. Here, nice, nice. Okay, second question. How many of you guys at some point in your life would have said, yeah, I could have let them slide for a 20? All right, few honest people will pray for you. The rest of you are liars and we'll pray for you too. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I get it, right? Like, you think about Joseph's brothers. There's, there's 11 of them and one of Joseph, and he gets all the favor. Man, he just, he, he's kind of annoying, isn't he? Kind of annoying. I get where they're coming from. I'd, I'd be kind of ticked about it. I think sometimes we think, man, you know, Joseph, maybe he had it coming to him. Right? Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he's just getting what he had already coming. And I think it's easy for us from the outside to think that way. And I think we actually do that with people in our lives. Right? We look at someone's circumstance and we go, yeah, like I get it's tough for them, but it's because they were a moron. Right? Looking from the outside, having no idea the details of the circumstance. Isn't that so arrogant? And I think even more than that, we say, yeah, I, I know what's going on, and I know what God's up to in their life. They deserve it. And then we do the same thing in our own lives. We go, man, God, I've, I've been faithful. I've done all of these things. I, I know what you're up to. I know what your next move should look like. Right? We kind of slip into this vending machine 
idea of God that we, that's transactional. We put in our time, we put in our thing, and he's going to spit out what we want. And what we see in Scripture is that's just not the way that God works. I think it's a bit sad that, that culture has really put God in a box. I really believe this. Whether you talk to someone inside or outside of the church, I'll hear things like, um, I, I, I would love to believe in God, but uh, I see him doing X, Y, Z, and I don't think I could believe in a God that would do that. Um, or, or people look at the world and they go, yeah, but look at all these things going on in the world. How, how could there possibly be a God in charge I don't understand it, so it couldn't, it couldn't be possible. Th- this is what I say. Can I be honest with you? I think that if you and I are able to understand everything that God's up to, that's pretty weak, right? Like if God is God, and I believe he is God, he better darn well be doing things that I don't get. Right? Because if my intellect is the ceiling for God's ability, that's a freaking weak God. That is a weak God. And here's the reality. Your brain's small. It's okay. I'll speak for you. It is. So is mine. I get it. Right? But our God is big. He's big. And so he better be up to things that are beyond our understanding if he is going to be our God. See, I, am, I have a seven-month-old Jude. I think we got a, a little picture of him. Can we toss that up? No. Shut the front door. But it was so cute. Come on. Oh, man, this just, it's, it's done. We should just go home, right? Like, call it quits. Oh, yeah, I got a seven-month-old Jude. He is so sweet. He's the sweetest boy, of course, in my unbiased opinion. Oh, yeah, oh, the Lord had ordained this. I know that. Wow. Yeah, he's wonderful. He is the greatest non-sleeping boy that I've ever met in my life. And um, gosh, it, when, when and if you get to the point where you're going to have kids, you're going to realize a few things. One thing is that they just like to get into everything. They like playing with everything. But more specifically, they like to play with everything that's not a toy. Right? So you, you basically remortgage your house to try and get all this crap for your kid. And then you sit them on the floor, line it all up in front of them, plop them down. And somehow digging through all the toys, they pull out the pen that's buried in the carpet and start jabbing their eyes out. You're like, what the heck? And so th- this is, whatever that problem is, Jude has it really, really bad, okay? And, and, but Jude loves watching us unload the dishwasher. I don't know what it is. I think it's the shiny things or something. And so I'll sit him on the counter on the island in the bumbo seat, and, uh, and, and I'll pull the cutlery trays out and start unloading them into the drawer. And as I do it, specifically as I get the sharp knives out, he's like, he's all over. He's going like this. And I'm like, whoa, bro, <laughs> slow down. You're going to get hurt. And, and so I tell him, dude, you can't have those. And, and you know what he does? He screams at me. He screams at me. And, and I go, no, dude, dude, you don't understand. I'm doing this because I, I care about you. I love you. And it doesn't matter. He still screams at me, right? It might be goofy, but I think this is the way that we think about God. Right? We, we expect as people to be able to understand everything about God, the omnipotent creator. And that's so much like expecting my seven-month-old to understand everything about life. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so 
I want you to know that I think God is probably up to something in your life that you don't understand, and it might be good, even though you can't see it right now. Because I think even when you don't follow what God is up to, you guessed it, he's still faithful. I think he's still faithful. Carrying on in our story, chapter 37, verse 36. You're going, man, we're moving slow. It's going to get faster, I promise. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Okay, so we got to be thinking, man, Joseph's wondering, Lord, what on earth is going on? I was in a pit. I got sold once. I got sold again. What are you doing with my life? Um, but for those of you who, um, who know the story of Joseph, either you've read the, the 10 chapters or you've, you've watched the VeggieTales edition, okay, you know that, that Joseph's going to end up in Egypt second in command. And you've got to think, if you're going to be that high up in command, you're going to have to know a few things, right? You've got to know a few things about leadership, uh, about organization, maybe about leading an army and how that all works. Where, where do you think, can I just ask, where do you think might be a good spot for someone to glean some of that information? Do you think that maybe um, in, in the house of Pharaoh, an officer of him, the captain of the guard? How about that one? Right, maybe, just maybe, God wasn't punishing Joseph, but he was preparing him for what was next, for what was yet to come, right? And maybe in your circumstance, God's not punishing you. He's just preparing you for something that you can't see. We find out that Joseph was put in charge and found much favor in Potiphar's house, particularly as we're about to find out with Potiphar's wife, right? This is, this is what chapter 39, verse 6 says. Now Joseph was handsome, in form and appearance. I love how descriptive that is. It's like, hello, Joe. Come on. And we don't know much about Potiphar's wife, but here's what we do know. She is eager to get hot and heavy with Joseph, okay? You guys are looking at me like deers in the headlights, but it says that in here, okay? I had to say it. And Joseph's response, though, is this. Hey, I can't, I can't do it. I won't do it. I got to be faithful to your master and to my God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that with you. Um, I, was, I was chatting with Ed about this, uh, one of our other pastors, about this talk this week. And I'm always trying to run these things by him to make sure that I actually have something that's worth your time. And uh, I, we were talking about this passage. And he said, you know what, Ryan? There's only really one logical explanation for Joseph's response in this scenario. It just must have been that Potiphar's wife looked like a warthog. <laughs> he said that. Pastor Ed, and I said, Ed, that is enough of the ESV, the Ed Standard Version. And so tonight we're going to stick with my ESV, okay? The English Standard Version. And it says this, that Joseph was faithful to God. That even when things didn't make sense, he was faithful to God. And so what we see happen is after Joseph refuses Potiphar's wife, she tells Potiphar and starts like ripping around the palace, streaking, and it gets weird. And, um, and, and Potiphar says, oh, you're out. That's it. Puts him in prison. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison where the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor 
in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I love this. In all of this, he showed Joseph's steadfast love and favor. You see, Joseph had this dream, but we got to expect that none of these things that have been happening, they, they weren't part of the dream. I certainly think the journey towards the dream was looking a lot different than he would have expected. I love, I love what Tim Keller says. He's a pastor in New York. He says, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God would allow something bad to happen doesn't mean that there isn't one. Because I think even when life seems unfair, God's still faithful. He's still faithful. Moving along in our story here, you guys still with me? You doing okay? Yeah, you still look pretty good. Paraphrasing chapter 41, I don't want to put you to sleep. It goes something like this. We, we know that Joseph's ended up in prison, right? And we find out he's in there with two other guys. One is the former cupbearer of Pharaoh, and the other is the former chief baker of Pharaoh. Uh, and it's one morning, these guys, the three of them, they're down probably eating breakfast or something, and Joseph says, hey, you guys don't seem like you're doing that great. Is everything okay? And, and they go, well, actually, no. Um, we both had these really wacky dreams don't know what to make of him. He said, oh, a dream. He said, I, I, I know a thing or two about dreams. Why don't you try me? And we see that they do. And so the chief cupbearer says to Joseph, I had this dream. And Joseph says, man, that is a sweet dream. Let me tell you, in three days from now, Pharaoh's going to lift your head and he's going to take you to dine in his palace. You're going to be with his officials in paradise. That is a great dream. But here's one thing. When you go, when you go, don't forget about me, okay? I'm stuck down here. Maybe let Pharaoh know that I did something good and I have some knowledge and don't forget about me. And then the baker, okay? This is the chief baker, guy number two says, man, that is a great interpretation of that dream. Why don't I tell you my dream? And uh, so Bob the baker comes in and he, uh, he says, hey, this is what was up. And Joseph goes, oh, Bob, man, dude, so sorry, bro. Uh, hate to tell you, but in three days also, the Lord, he's, or I mean, Pharaoh, he's going to lift your head, but he's going to lift it off your body and you're not going to live anymore. And it's like, oh, shoot, sorry, dude. That, that wasn't quite as good. <laughs> and that's what happens. Okay, three days later, we see both dreams come, come to fruition. And, and, but what also happens is that um, Chief Cutberry gets so jacked up on whatever else is going on up in the palace, forgets about Joe, and it's two years later then that Pharaoh... Okay, Pharaoh says, man, I've been having these terrible dreams. I got to find someone who can, who can do something about them and let me know what's up. And uh, he, he says, I've looked all over the land. There's nobody. And that's when the chief cupbearer goes, oh, ah, shoot. Dude, Joe, I am so sorry, man. I totally forgot. Okay, Pharaoh, dude, I got this guy. I was supposed to tell you about him two years ago, but I totally dropped the ball, okay? But here's the thing. I think he can help you out. I, I think he could interpret your dream. And so we see that Pharaoh pulls Joseph out of prison, dresses him up, and Joseph, by God's power, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And he says this to Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years where you have plentiful harvest, where you have much abundance of food. But then following those seven years, there'll be seven more years. And in those years, there will be a, a deep famine. And you got to get ready you got to find someone who can, who can manage your stuff so that your people can make it through this. 
This is what Pharaoh says to Joseph. He says, since God, in chapter 41, verse 39, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent intelligent or wise as you are. Man, that is so good. No one's ever said that to me, right? He's pumping his tires. Then he says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Like, boom! This is amazing. Second in command over all of Egypt. But here's what you got to remember. 13 years later, we read in verse 46, at the age of 30, finally, finally things are looking up for Joseph. You better bet that those 13 years look way different from what Joseph had thought that they would, right? When God gave him that dream, they looked way different. He spent time in the pit. He spent lots of time in prison. And now, only now, 13 years later, sitting in the palace. Eugene Peterson, a uh, Christian author, the, the author of the Message Translation, uh, someone who actually just this last week, some of you might know it, went to, uh, died went to be with Jesus, um, had a profound impact on Christianity. This is what he says. He says, the life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. I think that's so rich and so true because we better bet 13 years of journeying, of pilgrimage for Joseph was tough. It was really, really hard. This is how we see the story end. Because we know that Joseph had this dream. It comes around in 42, verse 6. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all people, it was to him that his brothers came when they arrived. They bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Do you remember that dream? Right? That dream that we talked about 29, 32 minutes ago with the sheaves and them bowing down. Joseph said, hey, this is going to happen. And they said, there's no way. You're a moron. We're going to kill you. And, and here we are 13 years later, tons of hardship, immense pain. And we see that Joseph's dream has come to fulfillment. And might it be for you today here that you're doing your best to be faithful, that you would say, gosh, I, I feel like I'm slugging away. I'm putting in the time. I'm doing all that I can. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. And the journey has just seemed really, really hard. It seemed really, really painful. Might I propose to you that in, in the challenge that God's not punishing you. He's just preparing you for what he's got that you can't yet see. That God's not forgotten about you. And that even when you are most fearful of your circumstance, that he is most faithful. I'm gonna, we're going to land this thing. I'm going to get the band to come. That is such good news for us. You see, because God, he's in it for the long game. I think you and I sometimes, we can't even find our feet. But, but God sees so far beyond what we could ever understand. And he's in it for the long game for you and I. And the story of Joseph reminds me of a, a much greater story, a much bigger story. The story where we see Jesus come to earth as God for 33 years. Perfect. And in the last just little bit of his life, face immense persecution. 
right? He was beaten. He was mocked. He was whipped. It was bloody. It was gross. It was brutal. And in that moment, you can imagine that people were not going, yeah, I see what's going on here. This is going to be good, right? No, but rather that that, that was the most hopeless point in all of humanity where, where Jesus, the Savior of the world, was just being made nothing. But what we see is that God had such a bigger plan for that moment, such a bigger plan to redeem all of humanity through Jesus going to the cross, living the life we should have lived, dying the death that you and I deserve to die, and in his resurrection, giving us new life and freedom. You see, God always has a bigger plan going on than you or I could ever imagine. And that is such good news. That is such good news. I want to share with you a story from my life just as we close in hopes that it might be encouraging to you. I spent most of my um, kind of later middle school years and beginning of high school years riding mountain bikes. And gosh, I loved, I loved to bike. Uh, we rode great big bikes and did jumps and drops and flips and spins and all that stuff. And um, most of the guys that I rode with, a lot of them uh, ended up going to ride for big bike companies like Norco and Kona. Um, some of them competed in competitions like Crankworks. And this last week was Red Bull Rampage. Uh, and biking, man, it was my life. It was every day after school, I was out digging and building and riding. And it was, it was what I wanted to do. I loved it. And then at the end of my grade nine, going into grade 10 year, I had this accident. An accident where I, I had a major concussion and broke a bunch of ribs, ruptured my spleen and had all sorts of things internally going wrong. And I spent the next week in intensive care with machines and buzzers and monitoring my hemoglobin and white and red blood cell. Them trying to figure out what's going on. Do we got to do surgery? How uh, can we keep this kid alive? And it was hard. It was really, really hard. I think it was harder for my family, but it was hard. And the next three weeks, I spent in bed like a vegetable after I got home from the hospital, just trying to regain functionality. And the eight months after that, I spent not doing anything, no physical activity, just trying to recover and let my body heal. And I couldn't do anything that I love to do in that moment. And I was going, God, what on earth is going on? I think, I thought you had gifted me in this. I thought I was good at it. I thought it was what I was supposed to do. And you are just losing your mind. You're out of control. But the thing was, God wasn't out of control. Right, it was in that time that uh, I think he orchestrated some really beautiful things. I ended up buying a guitar, uh, a new guitar and an amplifier and started playing again because I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. I was a sitting duck. And so I started playing the guitar more and I ended up on a worship team. And, and in that worship team, I met this guy, and his name was Glenn, and he became a mentor for me, and he said, hey, Ryan. He said, I think if, if you're willing to smarten up and get your life figured out, I think God wants to do something with you. I think he's got a plan that's bigger than you can see, and Glenn leaned into me in ways that I didn't deserve. He gave me opportunity and responsibility that I couldn't handle, and God was faithful. And through that opportunity, I had my first ministry opportunity. I had a few other ministry opportunities in between. And God continued to place in my heart this new dream that looked different than any other dream I had thought. And I didn't always understand it. But because of all of those circumstances, here I am today, just a schmuck in front of you going, hey, God's got something for you. Smarten up, listen up, and see him in the midst of the things you can't understand. 
And that's incredible because if God can do that in my life, I'm sure he can do it in yours. Could it be that in this challenging season of your life, God's not punishing you, but he's just preparing you for what he has next? I'm going to leave you with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says that hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. I think that is so good and so true. God's got something in store for you. You don't get it, but that's okay. Are you willing to trust his faithfulness this evening? Why don't we stand? We're gonna respond to what God's doing. Um, it's, it's my hope that, man, if you feel like, if you feel like a mess, that's okay. Um, I'm a mess too, it's all right. Uh, if you feel like God's doing something and, and you gotta respond to that, I'd, I'd love to chat with you. There's going to be a few other people that would love to pray for you up, up here, whether it's during this last song or after this song. And we just want to lean in and support whatever God's saying to you. And if you're going this evening, man, gosh, all this God chat, I'm not even sure if I like God or know who he is. I would love, I, I'm so glad that you're skeptical. I'm so glad that you're here and would love to chat with you because we don't have it all figured out, but we believe in a God who does. Let's pray. Lord, thankful, thankful that, you're a God who operates beyond our understanding. That even when things seem to be spinning out of control, that you are in control. Lord, we're thankful that you are always up to something bigger. And even in our hardship, that you have what's good planned for us. Jesus, we pray this evening that you would give us the grace, the grace to see you working in the midst of our pain. That you'd give us the patience to be faithful to what you're doing and lean into what you might have for us. We love you and are thankful that you have not given up on us. Lord, we don't want to give up on a God who has not and will not ever give on up, given up on us. We love you and we praise you. In your name, everyone said, amen. We're going to sing, man, just go at this one with all your heart. Let's worship Jesus. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.